Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And a good morning to you. It's July 10th. Um, and uh, my microphone has been uh, taped together. I've often said this show is held together by chewing gum, string, and tape, as it turns out. I hope it stays up. <coughs> Me and my <coughs> issues are here. <coughs> Dang. I'm blaming global warming. I have never had uh, such, I don't know. So, um, God, now, was I fine just a minute ago? We start the show, and I'm a... <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not... Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll retract. I won't even finish. I, whatever. Um, oh. I want to read to you, if you don't mind. There's so much. There's so much bad stuff going on. It's just mind-blowing. And... Um, I just can't, uh, I don't know how we keep up. I, I, I don't know how we, uh, anyway. This I found on Twitter, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I suspect I do. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've often maintained I'm just another person who's paying some attention and I don't know the right thing to do. I don't know who the best candidate is. I don't know what uh, Democrats should be doing. They should play it. Who is, who's got the right strategy? Who's, who doesn't play it safe? Go full bore? I don't know. But this woman thinks she does, at least as she looks at how the Democrats are dealing with Donald Trump. And so she wrote this thread, is what they call them, a number of tweets that are sewn together. And <clears throat> she is um, somebody who is schooled in this kind of thing, having read her biography and seeing all the people who... Uh, who follow her. Anyway, she says this, and I'm going to throw this out here for those who are inclined to uh, follow the safer road for Democrats, okay, which is just a hunker down, play by the rules, follow, yeah, you know, do what we've been doing, okay. She says, if I were advising Pelosi and Schumer about how to deal with the unique threat of Donald Trump as a malignant narcissist, I would recommend they're doing the exact opposite of what they're doing. Democratic leadership <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is literally doing everything wrong. Malignant narcissists like Trump will do anything to win 
whatever that means to him. They are not constrained by conscience, by consistency, by honesty, by norms, or the law. We've learned all of that. If not stopped, they will do whatever they want and leave a wake of unbelievable destruction. Malignant narcissists like Trump are unimaginably ruthless, far more so than most politicians or other human beings. They thrive on creating chaos. They will attack from every direction and then find more directions from which to attack that you didn't even think of or knew existed. After winning back control of the House in 2018, there is no reason Democrats should be playing only defense. And yet most of the Democratic lawmakers are, with notable exceptions. Democratic leadership is actively holding back the caucus from taking the offense. The Trump administration has enacted policies involving planned suffering and even death. People are dying because of Trump's amorality. And yet Schumer and Pelosi appeal to Trump, appeal to Trump over and over, as if he has a conscience or the capacity for empathy. He does not. Additionally, appealing to Trump in any way is, is experienced by him as weakness. The only position from which to take on a malignant narcissist is a position of strength. That is why he admires murderous dictators because they use their power. Murder people, imprison people, the kind of power he wishes he had. I recognize Democrats don't do ruthlessness very well. And I am not suggesting that even if we did, we should take that route. But with the powers of the House and the ability to demand media attention, democratic leadership does have weapons, and it's not using them. Democratic leadership should be on the news and social media every minute of every day attacking Trump's corruption. It doesn't even matter if there is a cohesive strategy. Trump doesn't have a cohesive strategy. They just need to keep him on his heels. And there is so much material. Instead, what are they doing? Trying to be bipartisan? Nothing can be bipartisan unless there are two parties that are interested in working together. And there are not two parties interested in working together. All the legislation that this House is passing 
is dead on arrival at Mitch McConnell's desk. We know that. In addition to attacking Trump on his corruption daily in the media, Democratic lawmakers should be using every possible form of oversight. There should be so many subpoenas flying at the White House weekly that the Trump administration should feel like it's playing whack-a-mole. To be clear, I'm not even talking about the Mueller report or Russia. Let's set that aside. Democrats should be attacking on every emolument violation, every nepotism violation, every financially corrupt act, every legal and ethical violation they find. Why should Democratic leadership be calling out Trump's corruption every day in the media, and why should they empower the House subcommittees to let the subpoenas fly? Because it will create a controlled kind of chaos that Trump has to deal with. And Trump will perceive that as strength. Why is it important for Schumer and Pelosi to go on the offense and to create a controlled form of chaos and be unrelenting in their attacks because it will save lives? Read that again, she says. If Trump is on defense, his destructive policy implementation will be slowed. There is no rational justification not to be taking action. This inaction amounts to appeasement. We need to demand that the Democrats throw their metaphorical bodies in front of Trump's murderous machine. Okay, oh, that's what she wrote. Now, you know, they're doing some of that, but sort of piecemealy and whatever. The reality is, is their ability to legislate, which is, of course, what the job is, is, um, is only on paper. It's not, it's not a reality anymore because, as she reminds us, every piece of legislation that the House is passing is dead on arrival. At Maca- They are not doing the job that the Constitution requires the House of Representatives and the Senate to do. The Senate will not do its job. So what do you do? Well, you do what you can, and they do have weapons, as she says. The subpoena should be unrelenting, constant, They do have to be dealt with. They should rattle the cages of the media so that they demand more time on air with their accusations. They need to create such a sense of, yeah, pelting, ramming the ramparts. That Trump, who supposedly loves chaos, will not love this chaos because it will not be the chaos of his creation. It will be the chaos created by his opponents. I don't know. 
it makes some sense to me, I think. Caller, go ahead, please. Hey, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi. I, um, I agree with that to some extent, but I think people turn off after a while. It's too much. I think it, I don't think it really matters what they do. Just do what they're doing. I look at one thing right now. Until somebody else shows me something different, I look at the number that beats Trump, and it's Biden by 10 points. If that starts to go down and somebody else rises, that's great. That's all I care about is who can beat Trump. If it's Biden, it's Biden. If it's Kamala, it doesn't matter. That's all that matters. And if the people really want him out, they'll come out and vote. If not, then they must not want it that bad. So it doesn't matter what the Democrats do. I, I don't believe all that bullshit. But, I mean, some of it's okay. But I've kind of turned off to most of that shit they're doing. And some of them might turn out to be something. But it's it's just who can beat them. And that's how I, I think if the people come out, they came out when Obama was running, we'll win. But if they don't, then they really don't want it. They like Trump and just keep him in. I mean, that's just how it's going to be, I think. But no matter uh, if the Democrats, uh, all right. But so you're putting day. you're putting all your faith in the polls. You're saying, okay, Biden now is the yeah, candidate. Yeah, But I how mean, do we? You, you can't always rely on those polls. No, I mean they had Hillary winning, beating we'll Trump see. by a mile. I so get, I, I I don't know. It's too early. I mean, it is really too early. I don't know why I'm even saying that, but it is too early. Way too early. It's it's over a yeah, year, so wait, it's a year and year a half away. A year and a half. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's too early. But I don't I don't think it matters if they pounded him every day and that's eh, all yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean I get turned off by it. I after a while. I just so much is so much. I mean, just gotta get him out of there. Keep waiting the time, making time go by so it gets to that date. But it's like wishing your life away. But Yeah, and you don't want to do that. Okay. No. Well, thank you. Okay. I appreciate thank, it. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. I don't know. Biden seems like a very weak candidate to me. He's like the equivalent of a of a Romney, you know, somebody who you perceive as like safe and moderate. I don't know that that's the right candidate. I doubt it, but I don't know any more than you do. Here's a good news story. I found a good news story. And I'd like to know why a whole bunch of other colleges won't do the same thing. The University of Texas, it's a very good school, amazingly, seeing as it has the word Texas in its name. University of Texas at Austin. It's got an undergrad population of 41,000. Yeah, it's big. It's Texas. But it's an excellent school. And they have just decided that students whose families, and I'm not sure, I don't know if this is just you have to be a Texas resident. That's not clear from this story. But it could well 
be that. Um, students whose families make less than $65,000 a year will be able to attend this incredible university tuition free. Now understand that $65,000 is above the median household income in the state of Texas. So they are saying to all of those young people in uh, coming from poorer families, or not, middle class families that could never afford such a great school, that uh, they can come. So their Board of Regents uh, voted unanimously yesterday to um, adopt a $160 million financial uh, and, uh, endowment, endowment for financial assistance. Um, and this does not take effect, it, it takes effect in the fall semester of 2020, so it takes effect in about uh, one year. And they can afford to do this. The University of Texas, like so many universities that have not done this, has a huge, huge endowment. <clears throat> you want to know how huge? The University of Texas is sitting on an endowment of $31 billion. Methinks that would allow them to actually wipe out tuition altogether. $31 billion. Second only in size to Harvard's endowment. <coughs> and you don't see Harvard getting rid of tuition. There's no excuse anymore for these schools sitting on these gold mines to be making students go into the debt that they are going into in order to get a college education. <clears throat> so uh, the program apparently will also have some measure, and again, I don't have any specifics on this, will help other students alleviate um, their tuition bill um, if their families earn um, less than a hundred, I mean, yeah, less than 125000 So it also has, it's not a full free ride, but after that, you know, and I was thinking, man, if this, this is something that state universities should be doing. I mean, they're not all this rich. Uh, the University of Texas is uh, that rich because of, uh, well, oil and gas <laughs> investments, unsurprisingly. But, you know, I was thinking, let's say you're a struggling lower middle class Texan <clears throat> with a bunch of kids who want to go to college, and, and you see that and you make $70,000 a year. 
do you go to your boss and say, um, I need a $5,000 decrease in my, in my wages? Because getting yourself down to 65000 means you won't have to, I mean, it, it, it's the smart thing to do. That, that's, the, that's the thing that always drives me crazy about these sort of demarcation lines, right? Um, the amount of money that would be coming your way uh, in, in free tuition for your children, uh, I can see where somebody would try to actually make a little bit less if they're a little over the threshold. In terms of real money, it, it would make sense. I don't know. So there you go. Um, the head of the Board of Regents said, recognizing both the need for improved access to higher education and the high value of a University of Texas degree, we are dedicating this fund to establish an endowment that will directly benefit students and make their degrees more affordable. So there you go. Starting in the 2020 school year, and I'm quite sure this is, you have to be a Texas resident for this. That wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense otherwise. It's the kind of thing, I wonder what Pitt's endowment is these days. These schools are sitting on extraordinary wealth and that they keep asking more and more and more of strapped middle-class Americans who it seems unconscionable to me. So that's the good news story I found. I keep looking. They're few and far between, but I, I did find that. Here's one that'll scare the bejeebers out of you. Do you recall, also Texas, do you recall there was a judge in Texas um, maybe about, I don't know, how long ago was it? a year ago or something, who um, who ruled that the Affordable Care Act uh, was unconstitutional, that Obamacare was unconstitutional. Now, that was, and I, I think it was just in regard to a specific part of it, the part of it, uh, the requirement that, that people have to have health insurance. Um, but there was something about the way that judge, you know, cre would have been in danger the entire, the entire house will topple if that is upheld. So, of course, this was appealed. And the arguments were held, I think yesterday or the day before, at a federal appeals court in uh, New Orleans. That's a three-judge panel, two Republican appointees, one Democrat appointee. The Republicans appointed by Donald Trump in one case and I think George Bush, and the Democrat appointee is an old, old, old appointee of Jimmy Carter's. That appointee did not ask any question, the Democrat, he was doing a Clarence Thomas. He did not in any way 
uh, engage uh, either side. But people who were there say it was quite clear that in 90 minutes of oral arguments about whether this judge in Texas was correct in striking down Obamacare, the two Republican-appointed appellate judges appeared to agree. I mean, if, if their questioning is an indicator of how they're going to, they are going to come out with a ruling that Obamacare is unconstitutional. If that happens, it will, of course, be appealed again. It will be appealed either way it goes. And the next appeal is to the Supreme Court. Uh, and the way this is shaking down the timeline, it would get find its way to the Supreme Court right around election time. Now, if that's the case, this would be, I would think, an extraordinary leg up for the Democratic candidate. Because if this case is upheld, I mean, if this judgment that Obamacare is unconstitutional is upheld, um, 52 million Americans would find themselves having a lot of trouble getting private health insurance. The number of uninsured people in America would increase immediately by about 20 million. All of, think of all the things Obamacare did. Insurers then would also no longer have to cover young adults under their parents' plans up to age 26, right? Uh, the annual and lifetime limits that used to be on your insurance coverage would return, as would the caps on uh, out-of-pocket medical costs. Also go on to be the, la the, the law's um, protections for people with pre-existing conditions which would send those 52 million Americans back into the private insurance market. How could the Republicans possibly want this to happen? I, I, it, it's beyond me. I mean, it's frightening because you can see the Supreme Court agreeing and then Obamacare's gone. But the chaos created by that and the, 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 the terror that so many American families would feel and the a real terror, talk about, talk about lives being lost. So <coughs> this case was heard yesterday on the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And in the current K-12 
chaos of our media, it doesn't get the attention it should. This is the kind of story that people need to know about. And they need to know that the Trump administration is arguing for getting rid of Obamacare. It is the Republicans, Republican governors and attorneys general who brought the lawsuit in the first place. The Republicans own this thing. And the only way it can go now is to the, it, it will wait for the opinion of this three judge panel. No matter what the opinion is, it's going to head to the Supreme Court. I can't imagine. I mean, it's like it's like the Republicans are making war on so many of us, on women, on black people and brown people, on immigrants, on Muslims, on gays. What what is their what is their game plan here? <laughs> They're going after the the working class, the middle class. The only people that they really uh represent and go to bat for in real terms, not verbiage, are the super rich. It's incredible. Uh, Milton's come through again. He says he found an article that says the and oh, but this is from 2015. So let's imagine this is bigger. Uh, this article says that Pitt is sitting on uh, oh, it's currently listed at excuse me, 4.1 billion. Uh, well, it was Texas's. I mean, that's a far cry from what Texas has. But it's four billion dollars. And they can't do more to help people. Texas is 31 billion. It's why I always say, I don't understand people who give money to their alma maters. I don't get it. Why would anybody give money to Harvard? They're choking on their dough. Why would anybody give money to somebody who's sitting on billions of dollars? You, if you have money, why would you give it to rich institutions? You know, I used to give money to the Southern Poverty Law Center because they do the kind of good work that I'm for. Then I did what we should always do, due diligence. And while their mission is laudable, the Southern Poverty Law Center, even though poverty is in its name, <laughs> is rich. It has a huge endowment. Uh -huh. 
you know, the word poverty, and it's, it's, it's brilliant marketing. Southern Poverty Law Center. <laughs> They're also sitting on, I think, billions. So I stopped giving to them. I support their mission, but I ain't giving them anything. I mean, if you want to make an impact with your charitable dollars, what does it not make sense to give to places, institutions, nonprofits, people who don't have money? I guess the rich give to like Harvard and they give to you know, cultural institutions um, because, you know, they want to be in that elite company, sort of like, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, the, the distraction of the moment. He gave a ton of money to Harvard. And by the way, he gave, I think, six and a half million to Harvard. And... When the charges against him came, the initial charges in Florida came out some, whatever, 10 years ago, whatever that was. Harvard refused to give the money back. You know, there are calls when uh, it is found out that a donor uh, is a despicable human being and or the money was gotten in a nefarious ways there are always calls for institutions to turn like the opioid manufacturers they gave money left right and center to a lot of cultural institutions and academic uh, institutions and um, most of that money I think well I don't know I don't know a lot of the money has been returned um Politicians who Epstein gave money to all were embarrassed and returned their money. But Harvard, which needed his six and a half mil as much as I need two cents, Harvard refused to give it back. I guess that's how you end up with the largest endowment in uh, American academics. Despicable. It's a word I know I'm overusing, but you know... <laughs> okay, we should do some synonyms. Time for synonyms for despicable. We've also overused deplorable. Thank you, Hillary. Um, but I don't know. It's endless. So, caller. Hello. How you doing? Hey, Lynn. It's Mike in D.C. Hi, Mike. So people give money because we live in a tribal culture. That's their tribe, and they want to support it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't see my alma maters as a tribe. I see them as a business, and they gave me a degree for which I had to pay student loans. Yeah, they forever. didn't give you a degree. Um, I mean, yes, they gave you a degree. You right. paid for it. <laughs> yeah. And I earned it to boot. They didn't give it to me. No, that's right. You um, earned it, and you it, paid for the privilege. And I would no more wear a T-shirt with my alma mater on it, then I would wear a T-shirt for Walmart, you know? Yeah. And can... Hello? Are they not helping students? Can you hear me? Yeah, you, you, you went out for a sec. 
I'm sorry. Specifically, are they not only not helping students get educations, their um, staff, the teachers, they are getting so that they can get even cheaper teachers. Incredible. I know. It's just, I mean, I was going to say despicable again. I'm sorry. But the reason people give is because it's trying. Well, the same reason I'll, you know, always be a Steeler fan or I'll always be a Pirate fan. No matter what the players do or the coaches do, that's my tribe. That's your tribe. And it's, it's why Republicans team. will never vote for – many Republicans will never vote for anyone other than a Republican. Yeah. It's a brand. It's your brand. It's like you have it tattooed on you. That's it. Right. It's for life. And it gives me identity in a world where nothing feels – um, like, I have a place, but I'm a Steeler fan. <laughs> I, I so that's my two cents. <clears throat> okay, well, I'll take it. Thank you. Even though okay. I don't need it. Thank you. <laughs> Add it to your million. Okay, all right. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Um, yeah, in, in regard uh, to... Uh, this potential of Obamacare being front and center in the 2020 election, which I think would be great. Uh, Barbara writes that the um, editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine said this morning on MSNBC that the number one concern to millennials is health care. Even over student debt. And uh, I I would imagine that this came up in regard to um, what I was talking about with Obamacare in jeopardy. I mean, isn't that the biggest story right now? I mean, granted, there's nothing we can do at this point, but people are unaware of it. Oh, they're aware of, you know, the interior of Jeffrey Epstein's house, but, you know, Mark writes, I think the answer is that rich people like having a building on campus, right, with their name on it. Les Wexner, founder of The Limited and Victoria's Secret and all of that, uh, and Jeffrey Epstein, who, I mean, Wexner was his only client, I believe. I mean, there's weird stories about how he got his house and then Wexner being his only client. Everybody keeps saying, how did he get so rich? I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so Wexner has given something like $100 million to Ohio State. And, sh- of course, Ohio State now is a Wexner Center for the Arts. Yeah, that is how that works. It is how that works. Well, speaking of the rich, do you know that just 100 families, rich families, own 
42 million acres. I know it doesn't, these numbers don't mean anything. 42 million acres of, of land across this country. Most of it is in that upper tier of big, <laughs> big sparsely populated states and then down into the, into the Rocky Mountain air, area in, and, and into the southwest. And the number of acreage that the rich are scarfing up in this country has just skyrocketed. It has grown by 50% in the last 10 years. So this is just something that they are uh, there's one guy who owns 19 Colorado mountains. Did you know you can own mountains? Yeah, if you're rich enough, you can. And if you know you already got a building on University of Colorado campus, you can then go buy yourself a bunch of mountains. Um, but despite what this suggests, it's causing uh, a lot of troubles. Um, fights have been playing out between uh, private individuals and the federal government. Who owns more than half of that Rocky Mountain region? You do. The feds do. It's in all those national parks and, and refuges and, and um, monuments. The government has carved that stuff out so that it can't be in the hands of a few hundred families. Um, and it used to be that smaller owners were always taking on, of course, the feds, saying, well, you're encroaching on our right to own land. Now, those same private owners, the little private owners, they've got another enemy. And it's not the government anymore. It's these rich people. Because some of these rich people buy up so much land that they buy up the access that the public has had and nearby ranchers and owners have had to uh, trails and hiking and hunting areas. So on a very sort of molecular level, uh, these rich people who then hire armed guards, by the way, and stick up barbed wire and no trespassing signs, are taking from people land that they always considered theirs. I was looking at a map. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And they talk about some of these guys that are buying up the land are doing good stuff. They're actually doing it for environmental reasons. Uh, the head of, is it Comcast, John Malone? He's one of the big owners. Uh, and his family is into conservation. And uh, and some of these guys have cleaned up trails and you know put in uh, their their whole purpose being to protect the land. But of course that's what the feds are supposed to be doing as well. But under Republicans the uh, that land is never protected. They sell you know oil and gas rights. Do we have a caller? 
Oh, we have Ryan. Ryan! I thought you weren't coming. I know, I had to run an errand for my girlfriend. Ah, right, you have to run an errand for your girlfriend. Come on. I'll get back to this other story at another time. Hi, everyone. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Oh, Oh, now I've done it. Okay, there. I've got a a messed up mic here. It's very hot out there, too. It is. Yeah, I rode my bike. I'm literally like... Well, of course you rode your bike. You damn well better ride your bike. (laughs) We don't want to see you in a car. Do you own a car? I do own a car, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, okay. my girlfriend and I split one car, basically. Okay. Yeah, try to okay. be a one-car family. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, uh, I want to I talk to you about... We didn't decide what we were talking about no, here today. No, no. But I have, I have ideas, but... I know but, you do, because I mean you're... Okay, but I, talk, I want you to initially talk about something you tweeted about. Okay. Okay? I always love to do that. This has to do... With the new movie, The Lion King. Okay. <laughs> Lion King, yeah. 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 So they're coming out with a new, I mean, I mean, I Yeah, they're coming out with a new. Um, it, it comes out this weekend, I think. Yes, I yes. believe so. It's, uh, it's, it's animated still, but it's uh, like realistic, Better like animation. 3D, yeah. like uh, looks, computerized animation right, right, instead right. of the older one, which was mostly drawing. Okay. Um, back when I was a kid. You said it's a 25-year-old, the first one is Yeah, yeah. I had, I had to double check. It came out in 94. I remember watching it in elementary school. Crying. I remember watching it, and I was certainly not in elementary school, and I was crying too. Um, and so what they've done, they're just going to do the same story again? Yeah, but what I've read, it's basically the same, the Why same exact plot. It's just because they got more tricks with animation? I mean, what? It, Hollywood has not been adverse to just producing sequels or remakes uh, to, um, and people like it apparently because they go spend a lot of money on it. So, uh, you know, regardless of what us critics might think, uh, I think we're we're on the wrong side of history. On this okay, one. but you're saying that they're making the same mistake. They're yeah. sticking with the mistake well, when that I, was made yeah. in the first Lion King. Yeah, when I tweeted out, I, I, I found this story on National Geographic. It's such a good story, and it just basically talks about the um, the real world world of uh, lions. lions, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are, and that they're basically that they're a matriarchal society that's, that's run by the females of the pride, and that the males of the pride actually are. Um, bit of nomads and tend to just come and go for a few years where they basically act as a birth giver i guess or a, or a <laughs> not a, no not a birth giver <laughs> not a birth giver but no a, an impregnator uh, impregnator thank you yes, yes. an uh, impregnator yes. well they act as and a, you know yeah. if you look at pictures videos every time you've ever seen lions yeah. in the wild the males are always just like lying under a tree somewhere, yawning. Yeah. They don't do shit. <laughs> Not compared uh, to yeah, the females. They no. don't. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, you know, if they could drink a beer, they'd be drinking a beer. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So the so, wi- the females. Yeah, it's not. I think I think the common misconception that people had was for a long time, or at least that I had as well. Uh, I love nature, nature, nature documentaries, and I watch them all the time. Um, but I think the common misconception people had was that the lionesses were just like they. Everyone realized that they hunted the most because that was very obvious. You know, if you go watch the hunts, it's the it's the females and and it's the you know, men yeah. do nothing. Yeah, but but it's even more so than just the fact that the females hunt. They also don't. 
they also control and protect the pack or the pride, I guess, more so than the males do. The, the males, males do nothing. Yeah, the males are pretty much just there to impregnate and to teach maybe the other males how to act because <laughs> male 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 cubs basically have to leave the pack. And this is something yeah. that really, really makes sense in this story is that right. male cubs can't stay in the pack because all these other females are related to that male cub. You can't, so like, it doesn't make sense in terms they of... They can't impregnate these. No, because they, they would, they, that would be, you know, incest, and then you'd have to deal with um, uh, all, the, all the, you know, biological problems that come with that. So males, like Simba, for example, in this, in this case, right, he would, it would be normal for him he, to be cast out of that's the pride. Right. Because he has to, to go, be. he has to go find another pride that's right. to then become the impregnator of, yeah. to, like, keep the species going. Right. But... But he's not ruling over anything. He's there to impregnate, and he's there to basically protect his cubs, you know? But also the lionesses do a lot of the they protecting of the cubs. They do most of it. I'm telling so. you, these, <laughs> these gorgeous male lions are mostly useless. Yeah, so They're I just, sperm donors. That's what they are. <laughs> so, like, I got, yeah, I got upset because I'm like, oh, man, like, what an opportunity for Disney to basically just learn a little bit about actual like science and and like our own and not our perpetuate own, uh, our this. own natural world yeah. and then just make a whole new movie basically like that like you still could have called it the Lion King it just could have been and maybe you even still have this idea of like Simba returning home and all this stuff but it could have been different it's not that hard they did it with frozen which i really love that movie and this idea of like making it seem like it's this one thing and then turning it on its head at the end you know like it's this idea like in frozen it was all about like you thought it was about this love story when it ended up being about a story about like sisterhood you know and um i really loved that and i think a lot of people did and so the idea that they're just gonna like remake it again um and you know <laughs> perpetuate yeah, yeah, this male dominated bunch of yeah. hooey. Yeah. Also, well, I don't know why. Hooey. They, they, I feel like they could just show The Lion King, the 94 version, in theaters. No cost to make the movie, right? None at all, right? And they still make it. a ton of and money. And they still make money. They could just show it, like, be like, 25th anniversary of The Lion King, you know, and people, and they'd still go. I don't understand the uh, Hollywood entertainment industry. It is it is perplexing. Uh, all right, this just in, and it's uh, bad news. Oh, I see this. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals has dismissed a lawsuit filed by the District of Columbia and Maryland that has been dragging through uh, our speedy wheels of justice yeah. for a few years. And uh, that case was alleging that Trump... Uh, is in obvious violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution, and it's been um, dismissed, right. and not dismissed on the uh, the merits. On the merits, thank okay. you. Not dismissed on the merits. They've decided that Maryland and the District of Columbia have no grounds. Oh. So who's got grounds? A, a taxpayer would have grounds, yeah, wouldn't they? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, or or maybe they like need a state that like he owns like a golf course in or something like that, or like like New Jersey or Florida, or I I I don't know. I I, I mean, I don't know yeah, either. That's um, I mean, this yeah. guy is he is a walking violation of the emoluments clause. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's just you know, it's one of those things that. It's also hard for, like, these stories to get a lot of momentum with people because a lot of the stuff we expect, like, the courts to take care of it, and they do, and necessarily sometimes they don't. And so, um, 
it's crazy though. I did, did, did you read the, uh, uh, I read a story in the Washington post that talked about how his, um, his, uh, club in Florida apparently is like losing its brand basically. And like doing, doing really bad. But at the same oh, time, this is the one they have to derail. Yeah. Where, derail yeah, yeah. They've got a, a big, uh, what is it? A big golf tournament that's being underwritten by a strip club or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that seems right on brand. It does actually. Yeah, Yeah. that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, Oh dear God. Yeah. Okay. So, what are some of the things you um, have in mind on going on in your head? Yeah. Well, gosh, there's a lot. I I just wrote a story about um, uh, this proposed autonomous shuttle that's running through Hazelwood. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's and really weird. It's, it's going like, from what? From Oakland? Oakland to Hazelwood through... Uh, what does that uh, mean, autonomous? It, it it's driverless, it, sorry. Ah! Yeah, yeah. It, so there's going to be a driverless uh, shuttle. Yeah. Well, it doesn't even have a road to go on yet, does well, it? Yeah, Do they have a dedicated road they're going to build? They're hoping to build one alongside the, the uh, Junction Hollow Trail, um, yeah. which runs from Oakland to uh, Four Mile Run in Greenfield. Right. Um and uh like they're hoping to do that it's 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 still like it it feels like it's a lot farther along than it is the city keeps going back and forth on whether this is like this proposal that we just want the city to be you know that we just want residents to like learn about and be convinced on to basically like no we want to do this and we've been pitching it for like five years at this point so it's 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 really confusing. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, my story, I try to, I try to Isn't dig through it in my story. Isn't yeah. that awful when you're a reporter? I have to tell you, yeah. one of the most f- horrible moments of my professional career, when I just started, I was sent to cover a public utility commission hearing in Wisconsin. Okay. I went to that hearing. Yeah. I'm the reporter. Yeah. I did not understand a word that was being spoken. Yeah. I literally didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. It was like if they'd sent me and they were speaking, uh, you know, Swahili. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. And I had to do a report. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Well, it's frustrating because I've been I've been following this uh, this uh, driverless shuttle store for like since the since like 2015, and it's still just like perplexing and and <laughs> odd and like the oh, the God. city has some decent answers but like in the opposition and uh i uh, if if you want to read a weird story give it a give okay, it a okay give it, it a, i know what story you yeah. also you're a california native yeah and um you you must be older than i think you are because 32 in, okay yeah so when you were a young young 20s yeah you wrote a piece for the uh, oh, LA. LA Weekly. Yeah, yeah. Um, about about earthquakes and about the big one. Yeah, about yeah. I wrote. Oh, okay, so and you re put that back out again. What what it would be like? What in in the first uh, fifteen minutes? Yeah, first fifteen minutes of the big one. Yeah, in LA. Yeah, a common misconception that one people have about earthquakes is that they last a long time. They don't. Uh, the Northridge earthquake, which was one of the most devastating in all of California in terms of uh, property damage, um, de- uh, lasted seven seconds. Seven seconds. That's it. You know, even the Loma Prieta, I think, which was the w- one in the 80s uh, in the Bay Area that, that, like, shut down the World Series, basically, if you remember uh, that. Yeah, I do. Um, uh, that, I think that only lasted, like, 30 seconds or, or, I mean, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not positive, but it's definitely not like a five minute or 10 minute thing. No, no. So it's a, yes. Um, okay. So is there any doubt that 
there will be a catastrophic quake? I mean, seismologists say there's no doubt that that like it will happen. And honestly, the one that they had was pretty big. That is California. Big. The one they just had was like I think they said like seven point oh or or, or well, around the, there. The good news being that it was not in a heavily populated. No, it was in the area. middle of nowhere. Like it really was. And and so. The idea with the big one is that they predict that it will uh, strike closer to San Bernardino, which is a fairly large uh, populated area, just uh, 20, 30 miles uh, outside of Los oh, Angeles. Okay. Right. And um, and then that will reverberate into L.A. And there's so many other factors in terms of the L.A. basin is made up of this like sand, kind of alluvial sand is what they call it. And like... Um, it it'll it'll shake more because of the bigger shakes that coming through it and it'll like cause like waves basically underground and then there's the fire damage that can happen there's there's the idea that when people have an earthquake they decide to run outside and when you're in a really dense area that might mean that like buildings are going to fall on you basically and so you're not really, supposed to don't run, run outside. outside if you ever feel an earthquake take don't run outside yeah take cover inside. hold on to a, like a table leg or something like that um and uh, I heard about that. And I'm actually probably starting to do some reporting on um, whether or not Western Pennsylvania could see earthquakes in the future because well, um, uh, other states that have a lot of uh, natural gas drilling or fracking, right. like Oklahoma and Ohio, have experienced earthquakes. Yeah. And we haven't really had them yet, even though we have a lot of natural gas drilling. So I, I, I want to discover a kind of if if we're in danger, if we're not, um, I think I've read some preliminary stuff that shows that our geography is kind of kind of protects us. A no, it bit. does, and there's something about the geology. Yes, the geology here is yeah. different, yes. and so yes. the, yeah, yeah it's right. The, we're in the mountains technically, and also, I mean, but speaking of geology, uh, there is no doubt that um, if you know anything about plate tectonics, that that whole you know, left, left coast, yeah. um, is pulling out. Yeah. Well, it's into actually, the, well, it's, well, I'll explain it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually a strike slip fault. And if people can see on my hands here, it means that the, the faults are just sliding against. Oh, they're going other. this yes, way. Not, not pulling under. apart. Okay. Like the, 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 the example of a, of a fault that pulls apart is the one under the Atlantic Ocean, basically, the Atlantic okay. Ridge. But as it pulls apart, it just fills in with new land because lava comes up and basically fills it in, you know? So, um, and there are other faults, like Cascadia Fault, which is the fault uh, in the Pacific Northwest off of the coast. That one goes underneath. Okay. And so, but, but, the, but the San Andreas Fault... Is going like this. It slides, basically. It slides against each other. So as so one part of California is moving south, and the, the other, other part's part is moving, moving north, north, you know? But yeah. most of California is on the, um, the part that's moving south. South, yeah. Right. And, uh, so it's at, yeah, the guys moving north mm -hmm. are um, on the coast, right? Yes. 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 Yes, some of it's off the coast, but a lot of it is like right. Uh, well, the, because the that part. part is on a different plate. Yes, yeah, it's right, right on it's, the yeah. It's right on, on the, the same plate with the Pacific yeah, Ocean. Yeah, it's Pacific. While yeah. most of the population is, or most of the most uh, of America, most of America is yeah. sitting on the same plate. Yes. So the, it, uh, in that yeah, regard, North no America. matter where it's going, it is separating. Yeah. Yeah. So so. So it's moving. There is a common misconception that like part of California is going to fall into the ocean. That's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just gonna. It's just gonna basically shift upwards. This moves like like 
a snail's few, pace yeah, anyway. flow. Like it's never going to change any of our human dynamics. It just means that that part of the country is due for shaking. Uh, and all and potential catastrophe. Yeah, but they can prepare, and and, and that's the thing. That's They've done a lot of preparation. They actually have California, and I think that's like a testament to the fact that there were no deaths in that big earthquake that just happened. That's right. That they've done a lot of retrofitting. There were stories after I wrote, mo you know, my stories. There were a lot of good LA Times stories about these certain buildings in LA that needed to be retrofitted that were built in the 70s that they didn't think that needed to be retrofitted, but they actually did, they and they've did. And, and 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 they've really started to tackle those, but they still need to do a lot more. We're out of time. And if you hadn't had your girlfriend, you could have had another 15 I know, minutes. I know. I know. I had to, well, I had to I'm grab her saying, some uh, lettuce for saying. tacos. Okay. <laughs> taco night, at, taco day at her, at her work. I had to ride over to Oakland and get really sweaty. Uh, You're a good man, oh, thank Ryan you. Dito. Okay, we'll see you next Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. okay. Cool. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. See you guys tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>